You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. Today is January 7th, 2024, and this is episode 259 of Lighthearted. I'd like to wish all our listeners a very happy new year. I am doing today's episode without a co-host because I want to get right to our interview. On December 18th, my friend, retired Coast Guard Rear Admiral Dan May, and I drove up to Falmouth, Maine to have a conversation with Harry Duvall. Harry spent well over 30 years working as a civilian employee of the Coast Guard as a technician specializing in lighthouse automations and solarizations. For several years, Harry Duvall and Dan May worked together on lighthouse projects all over the 1st Coast Guard District in the northeastern U.S. It was a real pleasure getting to hear Harry and Dan reminisce about some of their adventures during those years. Before we go to the interview, I want to give a few definitions of things that were discussed. First, Harry refers to Loran several times. That's L-O-R-A-N, which stands for Long Range Navigation. Loran was a radio navigation system that was developed during World War II. Loran signals traveled for as much as 1,400 nautical miles over the ocean. Loran has mostly been phased out, and most stations have been decommissioned. Another thing that's referred to several times in the conversation is the Peapod boat which is often just referred to as a peapod. Peapods were originally developed in Maine for lobstering, but they became a common means of transportation for lighthouse keepers going to and from shore. They were a double-ended boat that resembled a peapod in shape. Harry also refers to an LNB that broke its mooring and went to ground near Boston Light. LNB stands for Large Navigational Buoy. The LNB that Harry mentions replaced the Boston Lightship in the 1970s, about six miles east-southeast of Boston Light. Harry and Dan discussed the chariot wheel system that is used to rotate the old second-order Fresnel lens at Boston Light. So-called chariot wheel rotation systems go back to the earliest days of Fresnel lenses. With the chariot wheel system, a steel ring or plate attached to the base of the lens rested directly on wheels, which ran on a track on the top of a lens pedestal. Ball bearing and mercury rotation systems came along later. As you'll hear in the discussion, there have been some mechanical problems with the chariot wheel rotation system at Boston Light. In the part of the conversation where we talked about Boston Light, there was some question about whether the fog signal at Boston Light is still active. It is still active, and like most modern fog signals, it operates on the MRAS system, M-R-A-S-S, which stands for Mariner Radio Activated Sound Signal. This system is used with most American fog signals now, and it enables mariners to turn on the signals with their VHF radio. So with that out of the way, let's listen to my conversation with Harry Duvall and Dan May now. I'm here at the home of Harry Duvall in Falmouth, Maine, and Harry is a retired uh, electrical engineer and lighthouse technician for the Coast Guard. And also with us today is my good friend, Rear Admiral Dan May, Coast Guard retired. Uh, and Dan and Harry certainly uh, had some uh, experience together working on lighthouses uh, some years ago. So uh, Dan's going to take part in the conversation. So uh, Harry and Dan, thanks so much for doing this today. Oh, our pleasure. Well, it's great to be here. You know, Harry, uh, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, the last time we saw each other it was June 2001. 
And I think that I'm pretty sure that's the last time we saw each other. I remember the day really well. I went out by helicopter with a, somebody in the Coast Guard and a civilian, a civilian helicopter, a civilian p- pilot, great pilot, Dale Hardy. We landed on that little platform at Graves Lighthouse in outer Boston Harbor. It was one of the thrills of my lighthouse life. And you were there with your crew solarizing the lighthouse, converting it to solar power at that time. And uh, I only got to spend maybe half an hour there, but it was, it was a thrill. I don't know if you remember that particular day. I remember, I remember the the Hilo landing out there, and I knew it wasn't the Coast Guard because they, they, they. We have tried to get them out there before, and they would not land there. So I knew you had a civilian helicopter, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, that Graveslight entrance to Boston Harbor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you sh- you should see what's been done out there. The private owner Dave Waller has done miracles at that place. I saw pictures. I think it was in the Globe, Boston Globe. Yeah, was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. it. It really looked great. Dan and I were just yeah, out there in August. We we're Jeremy and we're just out there in August. He's done an amazing job. Unbelievable. You would love it, Harry. Yeah. And uh, quite quite a unique place. And he's continuing on. He's uh, got a new uh, first order lens there that he's going to try to light uh, here in the near future. But uh, amazing work that they've done out there. Absolutely uh, amazing. Now, that, they're not going to make a bed and breakfast or anything no, like no. that. No, it's too hard to access that. I say not the easiest light to get on and off, as Jeremy and I experienced uh, that day in August when the wind kicked up. <laughs> Getting off was a bit hairy that day. <laughs> yeah, but we made it. Reminded me of some of our trips, Harry. Yeah, yeah we'll get into that in a minute. But first, uh, before we get into some of the, the lighthouse jobs you did over the years, let me, let me ask you a little bit about your background, Harry, okay? You uh, were actually enlisted in the Coast Guard for a while. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. I enlisted uh, in 1959 after I got out of high school mm-hmm. and spent four years as uh, enlisted. I went to Cape May uh, for training for boot 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 camp training, and then when I got out of the uh, training boot camp, I was at right after Christmas. Uh, I was assigned to the Coast Guard Cutter Yankton, which was a 110-foot tug out of South Portland, Maine. Uh, I was on there for about six months, and uh, the educational officer who was, of course, he had many jobs. He was the engineman in charge of the, sh- of the boat, the ship. And he said, I think you ought to go to ET school. He says, you got high grades. So he says, and the promotion is quick and all that. So I, 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 I applied for electronics technician school in Groton, and I, I got accepted and, and uh, spent six months in Groton and then uh, got out of Groton and went to district first district boston for assignment and i was supposed to go on the mccullough but the mccullough was out coast guard cutter mccullough and coast guard cutter duane was getting ready to depart for a bermuda standby they used to call it go down to bermuda and spend a month standing by to do search and rescue so uh lo and behold here i am i just got into boston and i'm sailing out of Boston Harbor on the Duane, heading for Bermuda. And I was telling Dan, I think I was telling Dan about my first experience. Uh, I got a call, duty ET to the to the bridge. They had trouble with the Loran. So I go up there with, with my toolbox and uh, get the Loran opened up and try to figure out what was going on. Of course, I, I'd never be working on a ship the ship's rolling, and I'm up on the bridge, the highest point uh, that you could be at. 
And so I turn away for just a quick minute, and my toolbox flies all the way across and bangs against the bulkhead. So that was an awakening. But anyway, uh, we, so we, uh, we ended up going to Bermuda, and it was, it was a fun trip. And we had to tow in. I very remember this very plainly. We had to tow in a big, like a 400 or 500-foot uh, freighter called the Hildeborg from Germany, I think. They lost their uh, rudder, so they had no steerage. So we went out and pulled them in, and, and uh, it, was, it was really fun to watch them put a line on it because they had to shoot a small line and of course each line got a little bigger and by the time you get through the hawser was probably six or eight inches in diameter to pull the ship but anyway next uh, we left down there after it was new year's eve we came back and uh, it was a very bad storm uh, off of cape hatteras we lost two lifeboats uh, unbelievable uh, all this just planks left uh, on the side of the ship. But uh, then I got, got back to Boston and walked across the gangway and went to the McCullough. And on the McCullough, I made, I don't know, I think maybe three uh, North Atlantic weather patrols, which people don't even have a clue now what they are. But uh, we used to go out on weather stations and, and be out there for a month at a time and had to stay in a, in a, in a certain grid and we talked to every plane that went over us. They had to check in with us. And we were there as a safety valve in case they went down. And that was fun. I enjoyed that. And I saw some rough seas. I saw seas as, never thought I would see a sea as high as a telephone pole, but they were out there. 50 very feet. 50 feet. Unbelievable. Uh, so then I went to Loran school, uh, Loran duty out in the Pacific. That was a, thir- uh, a, a year assignment, and I earned 30 da- days of compensatory leave as eh, to, p- to put on my other 30 days. So I could, when I come home, I had 60 days off. <laughs> but then I went, I got out. I spent a year working for Raytheon, and uh, and going to night school to brush up on my academics, and went to Clarkson College of Technology in Potsdam, New York. Played a little hockey up there. Uh, four years, I graduated as electrical engineer, and uh, I had a chance to go to Saudi Arabia to work for Raytheon, installing radars. Uh, I didn't think that was a good idea, especially when I had just had a newborn son. So we uh, decided. I decided to try to see if the Coast Guard had any openings. Luckily, they did, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That worked out pretty nicely for everybody. Uh, so you were a civ- civilian employee of the Coast Guard. Right from the start, were you uh, involved with lighthouses? No. 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 I was. Uh, I worked in the electrical section of the, actually the the of civil and uh, yeah civil engineering, and um, I did some jobs with like with submarine cable and, and then uh, uh, just miscellaneous electrical work. Like I, when I remember my first job was to go down and look at uh, the at Rose Island Light in Rhode Island. Uh, they were wanted a, they were having issues with their range, their electric range. So I had to go down and work and do some was research. It, was it still manned at that time, Harry? Yes, it was. Yeah. Electric range, you mean stove, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So. So it was still manned, right off. It was still manned. Yeah, they rolled me out. Uh, that was cool. That was that was my first 
indoctrination her first time I'd been on the so it was predestined that you were going to work on Lighthouse after a first job like that. That's yeah, that's that's, that's probably right. <laughs> we're talking about approximately what what year? What years? Oh, that would have been probably sixty six, nineteen sixty six. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, then, I really liked uh, and had more experience in the electronics because I was an ET in the Coast Guard. So um, there was an opening in the electronics section, so I put in for that and got it. And then I worked a lot on uh, the radio station, which used to be in Marshfield. Uh, the antennas were there, and also the antennas were down at uh, Otis Air Force Base. Air Force Base. Uh, we had a remote system and uh, worked a lot on that, worked on some install, uh, doing the, the legwork and preliminary work for installing radars on the small boats, uh, 40, 41 footers, 40, 44 footers. The uh, field, uh, the, the lighthouse field opened up and uh, they, uh, I took right to it and uh, represented the electronics branch in doing that side of, of the uh, automations. But then when um, the first district office moved down to New York and then eventually it went to CEU Providence, um, I started doing the whole job, not just the electronics. It was the electrical electronics, the whole package, which was a lot of fun, and a lot of fun. I love going out on the different boats and different aircraft to get to the, the lights, and it was always a lot of fun. Do you know approximately how many lighthouses you worked on over the years? I have been, uh, I've inspected or been on every lighthouse in the first Coast Guard district, which wow. in, then included Maine, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts. The only one I didn't get to was a lighthouse, I think it's called Dicehead in Castine. It's the only one I never got to. But you, so you've been in well over a hundred lighthouses over time. I would say, yeah. And I've, I've, I automated and, and I sold. I automated first, and then it was kind of coincidental that I ended up solarizing the ones that I automated. Right. So uh, you did that for more than thirty years, right? The automations and solarizations. During that time, what do you think? Uh, what were th- some of the most significant technological changes during that time? Well, the big change was when they solarized the lights. That was huge because a lot of these offshore lights, uh, Halfway Rock, uh, Boone Island, Metinicus Rock, uh, Halfway Rock out here, uh, they had 2,000-gallon, probably three 2,000-gallon fuel tanks on board to run the, the generators, the fuels to run the generators. And that is an accident waiting to happen when they refuel those tanks because the buoy tender comes up close as they can get. They run a uh, hose, two-inch hose, uh, all the way to the, to the tanks on the, on the rock, on the lighthouse, and then go ahead to pump, pump the fuel. Any leaks, anything happens, you get a catastrophe. And so it was when that was big to get rid of the fuel on the lighthouses. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have the environmental problem. Yeah. Any particular automation jobs, projects that kind of stand out in your memory that were memorable or difficult or, or anything? I have a very memorable recollection, if you want to call it, yeah. of a lighthouse 
work that we were doing at Metinicus Rock. I drove up to uh, Bar Harbor to meet the Hilo, which was in the area, the Coast Guard helicopter. And uh, the electronic shop was going to send out an electronics technician to stay because they had, they already, there already were workmen out there working, making the connections and stuff to, to the equipment, and they wanted another body. So the ET, the first class ET, was going to go out and help. I think probably there were four civilians, and the one ET was going to be out there. So there'd be five of them working on the installation. So. Uh, I get up to Bar Harbor. I stayed over, and then I go into the Bar Harbor Airport Thursday, on a, th- on a Thursday. We got in the helo, and about 8 o'clock in the morning, and that thing cranked over, and they cranked it, and they cranked it, and they couldn't get it to go. And so they thought then they, they thought maybe the batteries were low, blah, blah, blah. They did all that. They couldn't get it going. So they were going to uh, have to call for help from the air station, which is down in Cape Cod. And we said, geez, maybe we ought to call Rockland Station and they can take us out by boat. Two-hour drive, so we drove down. They, they were able to do that. Um, so we drove down to Rockland Station, and uh, they took us out by boat. Now, the ET was going to spend a week, so he took his clothes. and he, I was only going to be there for four or five hours just to do, like I always do, check, the, check it out and any questions I have. So... <laughs> We get out to we get out to the light. Nice, it was a pretty nice trip. He got up on the waves with the peapod, and uh, I spent four hours out there. And I called the called the boat. Okay, I'm ready to come home. So they come out. Well, in the meantime, it blew up, and so they they couldn't take me off. It was too rough to get me off the off the slip with the peapod. And so they came out. We were going. To, we tried it, but it was no good. So they they went back in, and they said, "Well, we'll see you tomorrow." Okay. So I had this day. I didn't have toothbrush. I didn't have anything. Luckily, one of the civilian technicians or uh, mechanics was Chris uh, McNamara. Uh, he he. Uh, had, he was my size, and he had a pair of jeans I could wear if I needed them and all that. So anyway, so anyway, so Friday comes up, and uh, couldn't get away, couldn't get me off that day. It was too rough. Saturday, still couldn't get off. In the meantime, the helicopter had to have a new engine brought up from Cape Cod, and they got that installed. And Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, just getting dusk, I watch it fly right overhead going back to the air station. They can't stop because it's not an emergency because it was dark, it was getting dark. Yeah. If it had been daylight, they would have stopped. Okay. But they, so I didn't, they didn't stop, so here I am. Well, Saturday night, I had tickets for my son. Son and I were gonna go to the circus in Boston. Uh, the Boston so the, Garden? The Boston Garden. So I had to call home and tell my wife, Jeanette, I says, I'm not going to make it. I guess you're going to have to call somebody to take him. I says, why don't you try Jimmy Crookshank? Uh, Jimmy was his godfather, and Jimmy and I coached hockey. I coached youth hockey for years, and like 35 years, and he was my assistant coach for probably 15 or 20 of them. So he took him to the circus. So Sunday, still no helo. So Monday morning, he, the pilot called called up Tenicus, and he says, Harry's still there. I said, yep, he's still here. So I talked to him on the phone. He says, well, I'm going to Gloucester. We're going to do training uh, with the crew, the Gloucester Station crew. 
He says, while they're watching the videos, I'm going to run up, get you, take you ashore, take you to the airport. Anyway, the uh, pilot, I can't think of his name now, but he flew up, got me, while the, the crew, his crew, were working the video machine in Gloucester to sent, got me into Knox County Airport, and then the, the station come out and picked me up. But that was that was an ordeal. <laughs> yeah, little did you know when you first went out there. Right, right. Uh, sounds like one of our trips, Harry. <laughs> now I know why. Yeah, for people who don't know, Matinicus Rock is what, like 20 miles or so from the mainland? About 20, 22, yeah. yeah. It's not much. It's a rock. It's, yeah. It's one of their most remote uh, ones. Well, we could not land out there in the summer by plane Uh because the puffins and the terns were out there very thick, and we couldn't land out there in the summer by helo. We had to go by boat. Yeah. Yeah, it's considered one of the most important puffin nesting islands on the coast. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, you just mentioned uh, working together on on projects. And, Dan, you were uh, at CEU Providence for a few years in the early 90s, right? And then later you were, for three years, you headed up the Boston Industrial Workforce that worked on Lighthouse Projects. And I think in both capacities, you worked with Harry on various projects. Yeah, so there was about a seven-year period that I worked very closely with Harry. And as he was explaining, there was a reorganization in the Coast Guard from the New York district to the Boston. And they wanted to have their own civil engineering support, which would be the support for lighthouses. And that was in 1991, Civil Engineering Unit. Providence was created. I headed up the ocean engineering section, and Harry was assigned to me. He was working remotely in Boston, still doing all those projects, but he was assigned to me, and uh, we both uh, started working together. Both had a love of lighthouses, love of getting out on a boat. Hell, it didn't matter, whatever it was. And so for four years, we crisscrossed the first Coast Guard district from stem the stern i think just about every lighthouse in the district we were at doing inspections or as harry mentioned the uh, the storm in 91 the perfect storm which caused a lot of damage to the offshore lights that harry had automated over the years now we didn't want to go back with those generators and fuel tanks so solar power was the way to go and harry coordinated all of those for the coast guard uh, the Coast Guard was really great. We had a lot of support. Any uh, For either of you, any any particular projects you worked on together that kind of stick out in your uh, mind? Well, there's one that i going to have to have Dan describe it because I can't remember exactly. We went out to Heron Neck, and I believe uh, it was a snowstorm. It was. It was, uh, and I put it in my recent book just because I, I thought really, and this was the lighthouse that really started the main lights program which turned into the national historic lighthouse preservation act so it was so critical that this lighthouse be documented and all the required engineering reports and everything go in before we could transfer this to the uh, the island institute And it was, I think, the week before Thanksgiving, November. And if we didn't get this work done, it could have fallen till spring or who knows. But it would have delayed this monumental, uh, groundbreaking program uh, nationally. And so Harry and I went up uh, and uh, we had met in Portland because we always stayed in Portland. But we drove to Rockland. We had arranged for the boat, 41-footer, to take us out 
towing a pea pod, and then we were going to row in. We would do all our engineering work, row the pea pod back to the 41-footer and come back. Well, of course, on the way out, the 41-footer got a search and rescue call. It was an urchin boat and they were taken on water. So we spent two or three hours with these guys getting them safe, and we did. And then we continued. Well, by then, we had lost most of the day. Now we're on here and neck. Harry and I rolled in. We had another two, three, four hours of work to do. It's now dark. The snowstorm starts coming down. I mean, literally, it's like a blizzard. The 41-footer... The crew, who these guys had a real long, they're calling us on the radio, and I'm over here giving Harry the elbow. Harry, we got to go. We got to go. And he's like, nope, we got more work to do. Well, we stayed, and that was what I loved about Harry. It didn't matter. We had to get the job done, and he he stayed. I stayed with him, and uh, we rode back. The, the only way we could find the 41-footer, they took their spotlight, if you remember. They... They shined their spotlight, and we rode that Peapod in a driving snowstorm out to the 41-footer. Uh, they got us safely aboard. We got back to Station Rockland. I don't know. It had to be 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night by then. But then Harry and I had to drive back to Portland from Rockland. So I just remember driving again in the blinding snow all the way back to Portland because we had more work the next day. We got into Portland probably midnight or not, but that is a very memorable that sticks in my mind. Harry, I'll never forget that trip. Yeah, I remember the snow. I remember that rolling in the snow. It was awesome. But And the point being, and I, this is a point I made in the book, is had we not done that, it could have jeopardized the whole uh, main lights program, or at least delayed it six six months or so. But that's what, like I said, that's what I loved about working with you because it, the job came first. Didn't matter weather, seas, snow, boats, whatever. Didn't matter. We we had to get the job done. I loved every minute of it. Another another uh, incident uh, that Dan and I were involved in. Uh, uh, we were, and he'll have to correct me on this, but it was a lighthouse down on Long Island Sound uh, that we went to when we were inspecting it. You fell and slipped on the rocks, broke your wrist or your arm, and we weren't sure if it was broken. And after we, we were, we were going to go to Governor's Island, which we did after we did the inspection, and you, uh, the next day, went to sick bay and found out that you had a broken wrist. Broken arm, three broken places. Arm. Yeah, I'll never forget that. I, I left this out of the book. Uh, uh, I'm not sure why, but it, uh, Huntington Harbor Light. It was in the winter again, if you remember. Ice, snow, and we had Mustang, big, heavy Mustang suits on. And I was doing a foundation inspection, and I was walking down along the riprap, and I got one of my big boots caught in a little crevice. And as I tugged on it to pull my boot free, I pulled a little too hard. Of course, the boot comes free, and I go tumbling down the rocks. I put out my left arm to brace my fall. Okay, I, I felt it hit, but because I had probably three layers of closing on underneath the Mustang, I had a lot of padding, and I thought, oh, it's not a big deal, it's okay. So we we kept on doing our work, we did our complete inspection, we got back to the hotel that night, 
took a shower. I looked at the arm that was now swollen about three times its normal size. And then, if you remember, Harry, we went to the next day. We went to well, we went to Fort Totten, Fort Totten, the Coast Guard, because we had work there. We went to Romer Shoals Lighthouse, and we did all that for the next two days. Meanwhile, I still have this this uh, arm, and Harry and I had this little bet going because I thought, okay, it's badly bruised, sprained something. It's probably not broken. So we finally arrived at Governor's Island, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Harry says, I'm taking you over to the dispensary. They had a small dispensary there, takes me over. They take x-rays, and the doc came in. We're the only people there. Nobody is there except for the doc and Harry and I, and the doc takes the x-rays, comes back and says, and I had bet Harry a cup of coffee. That was our bet, a cup of coffee. And the doc came in and said, well, uh, I was a young lieutenant commander back then. says, well, commander, I'm here to report to you that you owe Mr. Duvall three cups of coffee because that arm is broken in three places. So then, Harry, the next day we had to go to New London. They had to set it. But, yeah, one of our many, many lighthouse trips. Yeah, that was a memorable one. (laughs) You talk about, he's talking about my dedication. How about his? (laughs) So did you get those three cups of coffee yet, Harry? Not yet. Well, you got to take them up on that. that. Is there a Starbucks near here or Dunkin' Donuts? So uh, let's talk a little bit more about weather. Obviously, we've had a couple of stories already that that have to do with the weather. Uh, Anything else about how weather affected your job over the years? Was that a pretty major factor? Oh, well, I mean, fog, weather, yeah. You're trying to get off to, I mean, because I kept a pretty good, I shouldn't say good eye, but I used to try to visit all the lights that were being worked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just once, but three or four times. I just didn't forget about it after I designed it. I did. I, I kept tabs on it, and sometimes you, know, you you have to, you know, it's thicker fog or it's too rough to get on or, you know, so that the weather is a factor, of course. And I guess that's kind of the excitement of the job, yeah. uh, the weather. I mean, I I remember um, trying to get on Saddleback. Now, Saddleback is uh, in, I uh, forget that bay, what's that? Oh, it's kind of an East Penobscot Bay. Huh? East Pen- okay, East Penobscot Bay. It's uh, within sight of Vinyl Haven. You can see it. And uh, we, went, I, we tried to get on that light two or three times to do an inspection. I did. And the ant team, the ant, uh, the AIDS navigation team at Southwest Harbor was responsible for that aid, and they're the ones that used to take you out. And they couldn't get me on, they couldn't get me on. So anyway, finally, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, we had some sort of a, like a rubber lifeboat, mm-hmm. a, the rubber, uh, a small rubber boat that we, because as you know, the way the ledge is on that, there's no real place to, 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 to get ashore. And so uh, I remember that was difficult. I remember it probably took me three years to get an inspection on that light because each time I went out, it was either too rough or it was fog or something. Yeah. So it took, it took, and so I had other lights to check and do inspections on. So anyway. Yeah, Saddleback would definitely be one of the toughest. I think the Coast Guard goes by helicopter now, the the navigation oh, teams? No, I think they might lower them down there. Well, they might. I mean, I got I got lowered uh, 
that was probably the most exciting, <laughs> one of my most exciting trips. I went to Buzzers Bay Tower. I say, I remember that, Buzzards Bay, and they had to lower you down. Right? They, they, the, the Buzzards Bay has a helo deck, mm-hmm. and uh, it also has a, a ladder way, a stairway that you can, you know, when it was all first built, the, the, the metal, of course, was all rusted. And so all that you couldn't, you know, with the with just the with the crew off. When the crew used to be out there, there used to be a lot of maintenance done. When there's no crew out there, just the ant team goes out and checks the aids, and that's it. Um, so anyway, so we we couldn't uh, we couldn't go there by boat. So I had to go by helo, and they wouldn't land the helo on the deck because they were afraid that the the, the, the rusting and everything and the, it wasn't strong enough. So they lowered me. I'm trying to think. Of, I can't think of his name now, but one of the lieutenants went with me uh, from CEU. I can't think of who it was now, but he went down first with a camera. Yeah. I told him I wanted because I really this was exciting for me. I said I want you to take a picture. People aren't going to believe that I got lowered in, you know, in a basket down to, and they did. They lowered me down. He he gets down first and he took some pictures, two or three pictures of me coming down, and so. Uh, that was cool, but it was kind of scary going back up when you're looking up and you see the blades. You know, but you're not going to get in the blades, but you first look and you think, boy, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, it reminds me, I interviewed the last, one of the two last Coast Guard keepers at Boone Island Lighthouse, you know, off southern Maine. Yeah. In the blizzard of 78, you know, the place was, the island was underwater. The two guys had to go up in the tower because the place was flooded. The next day, helicopter came and lowered the basket and they were out on the like the watch room gallery, and they had to climb over the railing into the basket and get lifted up into the helicopter. He said he was never afraid of heights until that day. I know all about that story because we went out there a couple, a few days later okay. to, to get ready to automate it. Right, they decided right away, that's it. I saw stones as big as a wastebasket had come through the windows. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable, the house. that house. Yeah. Unbelievable what the sea can do. But I heard about them going up in the tower. I think they took the Bible with them. <laughs> yeah, the the power of the storms there, the, those giant boulders that get get moved around. Yeah. So uh, just to finish up on that, so you, it's interesting you were involved in that automation. I think they burned what was left of the keeper's house uh, at Boone Island. Yeah, which uh, I... Some, you know, I, I, I'm a believer of trying to keep history, and I wasn't too happy about that. Yeah. I'm not even, I wasn't very happy about automating. However, if, you know, if you could get somebody to take the house over and keep the dwellings mm-hmm. up, would be, I, I bet I was, I was always, I, it, was, it was a job I did, I guess I might say I did it reluctantly in a way. I kept thinking about saving the, the buildings because once you take the people off, they go fast. Yeah. Uh, then the roof start leaking, and once you get a leaky roof and stuff in these dwellings, yeah. it's gone. Harry, I, I remember you sharing with me, that, and that was a difficult time for the Coast Guard. We were moving forward with technology knowing that taking the people off as you just pointed out, it was the worst thing you could do for the structures. But I think I remember you telling me that when you went around to various light stations, there was a nickname. They called you like Dr. Death. Because no, they called me Angel of Death. Angel of Death. Okay, I knew it was one of the Because they knew if Harry Duvall showed up to their light station, they were going to be automated. 
Could have been Grim Reaper, I guess. Angel, <laughs> Angel of Death sounds a little better. I think. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad to hear you had that, you know, conscientiousness about it. So I, I was going to ask you, uh, you did do some work uh, working with some of these civilian organizations taking care of the, the lighthouses, right? Well, I, I uh, for a long, good long period of time, I, I worked, uh, we have a camp out in Final Haven. Yeah. And I spent, Brown's Head got automated. And I did spend a lot of time out there cutting the grass and taking care of the, we built a new walkway. Uh, three or four fellows I got together with. And if I had more time, I would have formed, we were going to form a Friends of Brown's Head and, and uh, uh, you know, raise money. And You did some work helping out the association. It was really the state, but also the association out at Burn Island, and Booth Bay, I, I think I remember you helping them and working with them to make sure that they could could do things that they wanted to do to help preserve the lighthouse. I got a uh, picture of Burned Island and a nice letter of appreciation from, from Elaine Jones. She was, she, uh, I can remember we, they had an open house like up in Northport. And that's when they were first starting to think about, you know, putting them out transferring them and um so elaine jones got a hold of me i told her i said if you want any help i mean give me a call well she did call a lot and i think i gave her a lot of copies of drawings and stuff that she wanted i uh island it was a special place for me and when i went to the ceremony that they had at at their celebration when they turned it over the speaker was uh, a painter. Oh, Jamie Wyeth? Jamie Wyeth, yeah. I think he was one of the speakers. Who owns a lighthouse. He owns a lighthouse, yeah. Yeah. It it sort of looks like Brown's head, the tower, I think. Similar, yeah. He owns Southern Island, a.k.a. Tenants Harbor Lighthouse, yeah. On Southern Island, yeah. Yeah, Uh, Burnt Island is is a special place, yeah. I, I remember way back when they were talking about, uh, there was a talk about pe- being able to, and, uh, civilians being able to take over a lighthouse. And I remember I put in for Burn Island. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> the, I think it was a Mr. Commander Recchi. Yeah. yeah the Captain yeah, Recchi. Right. Yeah. Right. They were talking about turning over these lighthouses to have civilians. I don't know how we could do it. But anyway, I know there was talk about it, and I put in for it. Ah. Yeah, that was probably a precursor to eventually the Main Lights Program and then the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation but, Act. Uh, yeah, Donnie, my youngest son, uh, I took him out to Seguin while we were automating it. I got talking about Dr. I mean, Commander Recchi, Captain Recchi. I had permission from him to take Donnie out. So we went out, uh, to, went to Booth Bay, went out in the 44, and went ashore, spent the weekend out there with the workers as they were working, uh, automating the light at Seguin. And uh, that was quite an experience. That was a show and tell because I took all kinds of pictures and he was like in third grade. And then I took all my slides and showed it to the class. <laughs> I think you took him on a couple of trips. You take him out to Thatcher's Island too? That's yeah. another story. Yeah. That was that was automated then. I went out, Thatcher's Island, uh, Armin Deshaunas was the name of the- I knew him. You remember him? Yeah. Nice guy. We, he and I did a lot of work together mm-hmm. as civilians when he, were, he was working for the Coast Guard. Yeah. And uh, he retired. 
in Thatcher's Island was automated and was turned over somehow. It was got turned over a Rockport the town and uh, fish and wildlife's involved too. And in the yeah, they they took it over. So when he retired, they were looking for somebody to stay out there to kind of you know keep it. So he stayed out there for three years. Yeah, I interviewed him while he and his wife were staying out there. Yeah, I'm in Deshaunay. Deshaunay, I used to call him. So I calls him up. And uh, I said, Gee, uh, I says, can I uh, can I bring Don Donnie out? I says, we like to spend the weekend. This was Columbus Day weekend. Mm-hmm. So Donnie is like in uh, fifth grade, sixth grade. Anyway, uh, I have the Peapod. I have a Peapod that uh, I had built by a uh, builder in Duck Trap, uh, which is just north of uh, Lincolnville. And so... I had this pea pod, and so I told I told Armin I was going to come out. So he said, "Fine, it's kind." So I took it up, trailed it up from Needham, where we were living, up to uh, uh, Pigeon Cove. Pigeon Cove, put it put it in the water, put the car up on the up on the parking lot, and I rode out. I rode out from Pigeon Cove to to Cape Ann, to uh, Thatcher's Island, and I, I just found pictures last night of that, my people are up on the ramp. Um, but anyway, get out there on Saturday, Saturday morning, and uh, so we're going to come off Monday because Monday was Columbus Day. So <laughs> Monday come up, blowing a gale. Could not even think of getting off. And they called Jeanette. I says, Donnie's not going to be to school tomorrow. I said, and that was Tuesday morning. He's not going to be there because we're not going to get off today. So... It's okay, I'll call it. I'll call the school. So anyway, Tuesday rolled around. It was still blowing. Couldn't get off. So called the school again. So finally got off Wednesday afternoon. And poor Donnie sitting in the back of the peapot, and it was rolling. Some big rolls. He didn't feel good. He never threw up. He never give him. I got to give him credit. He didn't throw. He fought it the whole way. But. Uh, that was a memorable trip to Cape Ann. One of those. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about how these these stories with Botanicus Rock and there and Heron Neck, it makes you realize how tough it was for these keepers to live at these places year round. And, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. To get on and off. And there's, of course, there are tragedies associated with it. So anything else you want to say about how lighthouses have been transferred to these different organizations and civilians are taking care of them? Any feelings uh, you want to add about that? you got to be dedicated. And they gotta love it because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. We gotta follow that. Uh, his dad was up here at Ocean View, and I can't think of his name right now. He bought Halfway Rock. Ford Reiki. Reiki. I know him well. Yeah. yeah. I hope that he's. Uh, he's doing an amazing job. Well, he was doing a good job. I'm just hoping he can stay with it. He showed slides of his what he had done, and you know, I'm just wondering. You know, it doesn't take long. Somebody starts to, you know, they, a lot of people, I think, bought these lighthouses with all kinds of good intentions and didn't realize, like Ram Island yeah. off of Bar Portland. I don't know who's got that, but that's a hellacious place to get on and off. Yeah. yeah, I've been on there with the Coast Guard. That was quite an adventure. <laughs> yeah, I, yes, it was. Yeah, I've been on there a lot myself. So, yeah, well, I know what you're saying. I mean, yeah, um, somebody like Ford, and I, again, I know him well, and I've been there and seen what he's done. It's yeah. phenomenal. 
but yeah, he no, none of us are going to be around forever. So you hope that there's planning for somebody to take over down the road. He's founded a nonprofit, founded a nonprofit that yeah. I think will keep taking care of it. He actually, he's applying for uh, Little Mark Island, which I'm sure you're familiar with as well. Little Mark. The monument with the light on top. Oh, out here. In Casco Bay. Oh, yeah, yeah out here. Yeah yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. So I wonder if you ever served, worked on that. No, I don't think I, no, I don't think I ever did. Yeah. That's one I don't think was around. I mean, it was around, but I don't think, there was no keepers out there. No, never were. No, never no, were. just an automated light. Well, that, i never been to that one, so that's two I haven't been Well, it's, I wouldn't call it a lighthouse, but it's an interesting structure with a light on top. You know, talking about the ones in Maine, him and I, Dan and I went up and down the Hudson River. There's a whole lot of lights there. Yeah. But, you know, they're mostly skeleton towers and stuff. But uh, trying to think of the one. There was one in uh, Hudson. Hudson Athens Light, Hudson yeah. Athens. Esophis Meadows and Socrates. They've got some good groups there. And, and um, you know, I shared some of the same reservations, but I, I came to the conclusion that uh, there's no way the Coast Guard could continue this. The real only solution in my mind was to do exactly what the Coast Guard has done. Uh, to the uh, first the main lights program and then the Natural Historic uh, Lighthouse Preservation Act is transfer them to to groups that can take donations and raise funds and that sort of thing and and I think it's worked out very very well obviously with the help of uh, other organizations like like the Lighthouse Society but uh, uh, there's a renewed interest at least I've seen here of late with a lot of good groups uh, involved and. One interesting, uh, Jeremy just finished up interviewing our our last uh, lightkeeper, which uh, I had the privilege uh, of hiring, Sally Snowman, uh, back in 2003, 20 years now, uh, retiring, which is the end of an era for uh, federal employees as lightkeepers. But Boston Light, you and I both spent a lot of time at Boston Light. That's going to be transferred we don't know to whom yet. It's going to be probably the park service is what everybody, I think, suspects. But, you know, here we are with that uh, prestigious light being transferred to someone else just because the expense and really the mission of historic preservation is not really in the, the wheelhouse of the Coast Guard. So we have to look for alternatives and other means by which to preserve these but i know you spent a lot of time there and uh, we had a lot of trouble getting the, the, they still have the uh, revolving yeah, classical chariot, chariot wheels every couple of years that fails uh, that was trying to get somebody to do that work we at first um we were able to get the woods hole i can't think of his name now one of the one of the uh, woods hole civilian mechanics yeah, yeah. at the base yeah. It was able to get those done way back. I mean, when we first had an issue with them. Yeah, it's been a couple of times. We've had a couple of lampus come in and do it. Uh, we we may have another solution for that. Uh, that might be something that uh, I think might make some sense if we want to keep that Fresnel lens going. And that would be to convert the chariot wheels to a ball bearing operation. Uh, those seem to work. A whole lot. Uh, they're obviously easier to maintain and uh, may work a lot better. So maybe we can make a little improvement there. 
could that be done in such a way that it would it could still it could still look like there are chariot wheels? Absolutely. Absolutely. You wouldn't know the difference. And for the mariner, which re really is what you're trying to serve for the mariner, it'd be perfect. They would never know the difference. It's just the uh, rotation system. So yeah, we we could easily do that. Excellent. Our our listeners are getting a little inside scoop there on Boston Light. Anything else about Boston Light that comes to mind, Harry, from your times working there? Uh, I have a picture I want to give you that shows the LNB broke its mooring, Boston LNB, which took the place of the Boston Light ship. It broke its uh, mooring in a storm. It ended up, there's a, between the island, there's a, like a bar. Between Great Brewster yeah, and Little Brewster? Brewster. Yeah. That buoy came up and the chain from where it broke fetched up on the rock and stuff below and it's i got a picture of it from the air of the buoy next to boston light that is cool <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i went out with uh stan i think uh grossman or goal i forget the the writer for the globe like he wrote an article about the automator came to visit i think i have that article yeah yeah. Meet Boston Light meets its automator, I think, is the, yeah. Yeah, yeah I will give you a copy of it. I have it. Oh, you have it? Thank you. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's about all I remember about Boston Light. I mean, <laughs> I spent a lot of time out there. We had trouble with the generator and and, uh, and the fog, of course. And we, we replaced the fog horns now. with. Uh -huh. We used to have air horns, and now there's just the electric horns. Yep. I don't even know if... I don't even know if they even sound the horns anymore. You have the call in or something. Yeah, well, they have that MRAS system where the Mariners turn them on. Boston Light, I'm not sure if they're still even active at this point. I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Most of them are user-activated now, so you send a signal, it comes on. I mentioned when we started that I met you at Graves Light in June 2001. Remember, I, I remember that day like it was yesterday. What an what a experience that was! And a great pilot who knew just where to fly to give me great aerial views of Graves and Boston Light that day. My aerials of Boston Light have been used all over the place. It's it's yeah, uh, yeah some of my best pictures. But anyway, um, anything else about Graves? I mean, that, as we said before, that is a pretty difficult place to to get on and off. Graves and Minots too. I remember you and I going to Minots. That's even worse, right? Minots is worse because you got nothing at high tide. You got nothing around there. No, no, you got. And you had to jump, right, the way it was at the end of it, you had to jump to the ladder. You had to jump to the ladder, because the boat, you know, you're on the 41 or the 44, and you're, and you're joshing, and you're bouncing up and down. You're on the bow, and you gotta, you got to jump for the ladder. I often thought we should have gotten hazardous duty pay, Harry, yeah. for all the jumps. <laughs> makes me nervous thinking you about it. You and I it. made. I remember going to Minus one time where we had huge swells, and you had to time the top of the boat with the ladder and you yes. literally it was literally a, a leap of faith you had to jump were you wearing life jackets or anything we were oh, yeah, yeah, yeah mustangs oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah dan's been involved in a project lately the return of the the historical fresnel lens at the lighthouse of montauk and uh, graves light is another example where dave waller the owner is actually we talked about a little bit about that he's created his own first order fresnel lens out of spare parts i call it a franken lens <laughs> and that's now back in the lighthouse so the coast guard Seems to be more open these days to doing that sort of thing. That's good. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that in general? You know, I want to see the lights preserved as much as, as best they can. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it's a real piece of history in our heritage. And uh, anybody that can help, I'm all for. But yeah. the thing is, you told me that there's a lot of interest, and I, of course, from my perspective, I don't see that. You guys are right at the front forefront, but um, you know it's kind of discouraging if it doesn't get done. Yeah. Lighthouse preservation these days is discouraging in the sense that uh, fundraising is very difficult. It's not getting any easier in today's climate. Uh, And there's a lot of good causes out there. Um, So that's tough. But there's an awful lot of dedicated people who just uh, really, really care about lighthouses, including a lot of the private owners like we talked about. A lot of them are, not all of them, but most of them are really really good well it's it's uh there's always challenges and things come along i at least i've seen in the last few years a a rebirth if you will of a lot of younger people getting involved which is what we need and uh like you harry i I love the preservation and in my mind uh, the fresnel lens is part of that fabric of the historic nature it's the historic character of the lighthouse and if it's jeremy or and I were talking about this earlier. It's probably not every lighthouse, but if the conditions are right, if the ability to maintain and preserve are in place and you've got the systems and the network to protect that lens and to operate that lens, again, to give the best signal to the mariner uh, as an aid to navigation, then uh, I, I love it. I love the fact that people thousands of people can look up and at night and uh, or even in the daytime and and see these historic lenses operating and uh, like i said they do a great job for the mariner so no no i agree uh so harry we're we're winding things down here but i do have one important question for you one more question for bonus points okay (laughs) <laughs> get your pencil sharpened that question is what was your favorite thing about all those years you spent as a uh, technician working on lighthouses for the coast guard probably riding in the helicopters or riding in the boats to get there and getting on and off that was always exciting mm-hmm. and uh also feeling part of history um and helping preserve it that's about all i can yeah, I know. I, I remember you sharing with me, Harry. One of uh, part of the excitement was the journey to get there, as you mentioned, and as you shared in a uh, number of stories. But also uh, the fact that you're accomplishing something that's going to go towards the preservation of of those lighthouses and uh, yeah. and also serving serving the mariner and. Uh, that's, that's a lot of sense and pride. And the, the other thing I think was always exciting was you never knew how exactly it was going to turn out as you shared with us. So that made it exciting. But it was also, I think, you and I always had a, a sense of accomplishment. Uh, I remember Isla Shoals, which was the very first major solarization after the devastating perfect storm. We decided we would do Isla Shoals first. And it we learned a lot in that project it took way longer than we ever thought but once we had it done that was the blueprint that was the the blueprint for every and and across the entire united states that project so i think you had a lot of you know satisfaction out of knowing 
that that had never been done before. It was a first in the Coast Guard, and it set the stage for projects all over the rest of the Coast Guard, really. I mean, I just had so much fun. I, I enjoyed the work I did. I enjoyed it. And like you say about the challenges, getting on and off the lights is always fun. You know, you don't know what you're going to be in for. and, and uh, fun. Fun in a very scary kind of way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not always. Uh, but uh, uh, I just, uh, I feel, I wish I could have done it longer. I, I But I guess it's... Well, 38 years is pretty long. I wish that I could be handy now to, to, to be able to help in, like, Brown's head or... Cape Elizabeth or whatever, some a light that's handy, but I don't have the time. So, but I, I, I wish I could still do that. I mean, I feel I could still do it, but yeah, you could. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> I have no doubt. But you, you know, both you guys have played a major role in lighthouse history, and it's a, especially uh, Harry. You, it's a, it's a side of things that doesn't always get the attention it deserves. Oh. Well, maybe. I don't look for it. <laughs> oh, I know that. I know that. I just, it's, just, it's the accomplishment, the sense of, as Dan said, the sense of accomplishment of seeing the project through yeah. from start to finish yeah. in something that's worthwhile and, it's gonna, and it works for the Mariner. You know, and uh, you just think of, you know, nowadays, of course, not as, you don't rely on the lights as like what they used to. But, uh, you know, without the lights... <laughs> Where would we be, you know, there'd be plenty of boats up on the rock. Yeah. I mean, people talk about as GPS replaced lighthouses, but of course the answer is lighthouses don't play the same role, but they still play a role. My uh, good friend up in Vinyl Haven, uh, the lobstermen, they, they, all the lobstermen, they, they use like Heron Neck or, or Brown's Head or they, they, or they listen to the horns. They know, you know, that they're where they should be yeah. and where they want to be. Where they, you know, they, it's just like a double check, you know. So um, yeah, electronics can fail, and it doesn't hurt to have something you actually see that confirms where you are. Yeah, but again, uh, you you played a major role in in that kind of transition period between the the uh, the lighthouse keepers, the resident lighthouse keepers, and the modern day keepers or preservationists of these places. So you were key in that. So thank you for all you all you did. I, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed every minute. Every minute. I had a lot of help, Dan being one of them. Harry Duvall and Dan May, thank you so much for doing this today. It's it's a lot of fun just sitting here and listening to you guys reminisce uh, about all those those interesting projects. Yeah. This has been very much fun sharing it with whoever we can share it with. If you want to read more about Harry and Dan's adventures servicing lighthouses, I recommend that you get a copy of Dan May's new book, Preserving America's Lighthouses, Memoirs of a Coast Guard Ocean Engineer. You can get it from Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. It was so great to visit with Harry Duvall almost 23 years from when I uh, met him at Graves Light in Boston Harbor. And to have the opportunity to sit with Harry and Dan and to listen to them talking about the inside stories of lighthouse automations and other projects has to rank with my favorite lighthouse-related days ever. As I said in the interview, technicians and engineers like Harry Duvall and Dan May 
don't get enough credit for the huge role they've played in Lighthouse history. We will be back with a new episode next Sunday. Until then, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks so much for listening, and keep a good light. Thank you.